0: Twelve, verses 1 to 13. Therefore, since we are summoned, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfect of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against the sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined... And everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, you have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respect them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of Spirits and live? They discipline us for a little while While they thought what they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level path for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, Lingji, for reading for us. If you'd like to keep that passage uh, open in front of you, that would be great. Why don't we bow our heads? I'll pray for us as we uh, look at this passage together. Let's pray. Father, please open our hearts to your word. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit and point us to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. So how many of you are uh, actually making New Year's resolutions? Show of hands, how many of you have got a New Year's resolution that you think you're going to take on? Not many of you. Oh, actually, a few hands going up now. Um, I I hope I'm not going to discourage you too much with a few uh, statistics about uh, New Year's resolutions. Over half of people, apparently, um, make New Year's resolutions around uh, the world. And you may not be very surprised uh, by the most common ones. These are the top 10 uh, in the UK, pretty familiar resolutions, maybe to some of you, um, exercising more and eating healthily and uh, all the rest. They're pretty good intentions, generally, wouldn't you say? They're not bad things. They're resolutions that uh, generations of people uh, will have made, with the exception perhaps of cutting down on social media. In the past, smoking would be in there somewhere, giving up smoking. Uh, These days, it's cutting down on uh, social media. Uh, That's the 21st century version. What may not also surprise you uh, is how successful people are in keeping those uh, New Year's resolutions. Here's some uh, data from Forbes magazine about when people give up uh, during the course of the year. So if you can't see, if you can't read this terribly well, this is the sort of 12 months um, and then right at the bottom there, there are some who give up before even a month has gone. Um, There are some who are still sticking with, there is a faithful remnant still sticking with their New Year's resolutions, a bit like Andy, uh, after uh, a year. But you can see that in percentage terms, we're not very good at keeping uh, New Year's resolutions. Uh, There's something called Quitter's Day, actually. There's an actual day called Quitter's Day, which is the second Friday in January, uh, where lots of people decide that they can't um, go past even that. Um, The great majority, you can see from the data, don't go past six months, and uh, only 6% are still sticking with their resolutions after a year. All of that tells us uh, what we already know, perhaps, that we fall short of our own standards, never mind God's standards. We see the good, we do the other. That's something people find on a very natural level. More than that, when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sinfulness and of our need for repentance. We've just confessed together uh, that we sin in thought and word and deed by what we've done, but also by what we've not done, what we've left undone. As Christians, we confess daily that we don't love God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourselves. And because the gospel is a daily business, our passage from Hebrews gives us what should be really a daily uh, resolution. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The point is that the Christian life is like uh, a marathon. And for most of us, uh, marathons are pretty hard to run if you're carrying things that weigh you down or stop you uh, running freely. We're called to run with perseverance, the race marked out for each of us. And our passage gives us uh, three things to help us in being able to keep on making that resolution because we do need to go on making that resolution. I've titled them like this. Uh, We need to be single-minded, number one. We need to live a cross-shaped life, number two. And thirdly, we need to remember that discipline, uh, discipleship rather, involves discipline. So first, uh, be single-minded. Single-minded in what way? It's obvious that you need to be single-minded if you're running a race. You need to focus on the goal in order to win the prize. This year in uh, Atlanta, this is uh, a photograph of a uh, a real race in the United States. Very sad case. Um, This Ethiopian runner at the front uh, was winning it um, into the final stages. Uh, His top prize was $10,000. Uh, eyes fixed on the prize of $10,000, into the final stages, finishing line in sight, Uh, but she followed a police motorcycle off course. You can see the helmet. Uh, It's not a great photo, but down in the bottom left-hand corner, there's the helmet of a police motorcyclist who suddenly sort of veered off in one direction, and she followed that, rather than keeping her eyes uh, fixed on the uh, line, and she ended up losing that $10,000. You can see her just there in the stages of being distracted uh, by something else. Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. If we're following the wrong person, we obviously won't be going in the right direction. Very often, when we make New Year's resolutions, the person we're following can be ourselves rather than Jesus. That's certainly true of me. I think, uh, think back to that list of um, popular resolutions, eating healthily or going to the gym or, uh, you know, exercise, etc., etc. Those things are good in themselves, uh, but we can be pursuing them for the wrong reasons. When I've tried to exercise more or eat more healthily or whatever, it's often been for selfish or vain reasons. I want to look good or be thought well of or whatever. Verse 2 tells us, to look to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured uh, the cross. If we're imitating him, we're setting our hearts on the joy before us, which is to know him as our Savior and Lord uh, for eternity. This passage comes in a book, Hebrews, which is constantly reminding followers of Jesus that they are strangers and aliens and exiles on the earth and that they are seeking their true heavenly country. The great cloud of witnesses are those the writer points to as having done that faithfully since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us, therefore, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily uh, entangles. So, let me encourage you, it's not a bad thing to make a New Year's uh, resolution to exercise more or eat uh, more healthily. The crucial question is, why are you doing it? If it's so people uh, will think you're fit and more attractive, Um, you're following an idol a bit like that uh, runner who took her her eyes off the uh, finishing line. If you're doing it to steward the gift of the body that God has given you to serve Jesus more effectively, that is being single-minded Uh, in the right way. I'm reminded of Paul telling Timothy, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for this life and the life to come. If you seek first the kingdom of God, all the other things will fall into place just as he determines. You'll be a better husband, wife, father, mother, son, daughter, friend, employee through being single minded about Jesus. So be single minded, but not in a selfish way. Be single minded about Jesus. If you're a Christian, you're not your own, you belong to Him. Secondly, live a cross shaped life. Verse 2 tells us that for Jesus, the path to joy, the path to joy set before him was the cross, which he endured, despising its shame. And we all know, as Christians, that the way of the cross is our way too. Jesus tells us, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Verses 3 and 4, consider him who endured such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. I find those verses both uh, an encouragement and a challenge. They're an encouragement to me, strangely, uh, because it means it's not strange to find the Christian life difficult or tough. You can be tempted to be weary and faint-hearted. I find that I am uh, entangled by sin all too often and all too easily. Sometimes we can be led astray and deluded by worldly thinking or false gospels to think that if we're a Christian, everything should be plain sailing. I ought to be having a a joyful smile on my face 24 hours a day. Uh, But Jesus promises us, Jesus promises us that following him will be costly that the world will hate us, that life will be a struggle against sin, and that we'll have no uh, lasting city here. I find those verses challenging as well as encouraging because they remind me that following Jesus will be costly, that the world will hate us, that life will be a struggle against sin, and that we have no lasting city here. They're encouraging because they reflect my experience as a Christian. They're challenging because they call me to a deeper uh, level of faithfulness. Living a cross-shaped life is costly. Verse 4 tells us that we're working out our salvation in this life uh, in a struggle against sin. This is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a German pastor who lived a cross-shaped life of great faithfulness. And he saw what he called cheap grace as the deadly enemy of the church. And he said this, it's a great quote, Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of grace without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. Living and incarnate. Costly grace, he said, is a challenge and an encouragement. It is costly and it is grace. He said this, it is the hidden treasure in the field, for the sake of which people will go and sell with joy everything they have. It is the costly pearl for whose price the merchant sells all he has. It is Christ's sovereignty for the sake of which you tear out an eye if it causes you to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ which causes a disciple to leave his nets and follow him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which has to be asked for, the door at which one has to knock. It is costly because it calls to discipleship. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs people their lives. It is grace because it thereby makes them live. It is costly because it condemns sin. It is grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, grace is costly because it was costly to God, because it cost God the life of God's Son. You were bought at a price. And nothing can be cheap to us which is costly to God. Bonhoeffer uh, did live out his cross-shaped life to the end. He was killed, he was martyred, executed uh, at the hands of the Nazis. His final words were these, this is the end, for me, the beginning of life. He knew he had no lasting city here. It may be that you or I uh, will not be called to face that kind of trial, but if we're Christians, Hebrews tells us that we will face trials. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. It suggests that the Lord's discipline for us is to lead us from one trial to uh, the next. I don't know about you, but I am very humbled when I think how gently I've been disciplined by God in my life, when I do consider the great cloud of witnesses like Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he also reminds us uh, of our third point, that uh, discipleship involves discipline. It's obvious when we think about where that word comes from, disciple. Uh, Disciple comes from the same root. To be a disciple means being under the discipline of a master. We are disciples of Christ. Uh, In the underground seminary where Bonhoeffer uh, ran, he uh, encouraged students to pursue an active and disciplined uh, inner life, a bit like uh, what Andy was talking about, living in the Word, dwelling uh, in the Word about his New Year's resolution uh, a year ago. These disciplines of prayer and Bible study would help Christ followers resist the philosophies of Hitler's Germany. Bonhoeffer uh, had a very critical friend uh, who said to him, all that stuff is too extreme, all that Bible reading, all that prayer is too extreme, normal people can't do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer took his friend uh, across a nearby river and up over a hill and he showed his friend a large group of young Nazi troops marching in formation and training. And Bonhoeffer said to them, There is no hope of resistance if they are disciplined and we are lax. We must follow Jesus with more passion than those soldiers follow Hitler. We all have to take up our cross as Christians and overcome the world in whatever form that takes, whether it's Nazi tyranny or comfortable worldliness for many of us, certainly for me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus and spending time with him uh, is how we're enabled to live a cross-shaped life and to be disciplined as disciples of Christ. It's great. Love to hear Andy talk about making that kind of resolution and being successful in that resolution. We should all be doing that, spending time uh, in the Word, spending time with Jesus. Again, uh, verses 5 to 11 uh, great encouragement to me because they remind me that being a Christian involves a lifelong struggle against sin, but one that has a purpose. The purpose is God's love for us. We undergo uh, discipline because God is our Father, and that's what uh, fathers do. Fathers discipline their children because they want the best for them. Verses 9 and 10 say, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subjected to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good. I am, sad to say, a very imperfect father. Uh, My children find uh, discipline a very painful thing uh, to undergo, and they don't like it at all. Um, I do tell them sometimes that I wouldn't get so angry with them uh, if I didn't love them so much and want the best for them. But I do get it wrong. I do go over the top sometimes. I discipline for the wrong reasons at times. Uh, Sometimes I don't discipline them when I should. Sometimes I abdicate my responsibility and hope my wife will do it instead. Um, But in God, thank God, we have a perfect Father who is sovereign. He does work for good in all things for those uh, who love him. He uses all the circumstances of our lives to make us more like Jesus. Very often, as verse 11 tells us, that discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But if our eyes are fixed on the goal, we're encouraged and reminded it is for a good purpose of a good and loving Father. Importantly, it's a discipline notice that we need to cooperate in. Verses 12 and 13 tell us, therefore lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So, On the brink of a new year, let me take just a little bit of time to encourage us to think about a resolution or resolutions which might fit with that daily exhortation. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. What is that for you? What is that for you? It will be different Uh, for each of us. But what is it in your life that most hinders you from following Jesus faithfully? What most easily entangles you into sin? Maybe you need to think about um, the place of alcohol or some other substance in your life. Maybe an uh, internet-related addiction. It may be a festering resentment or a cold self righteousness or a critical spirit that you are clinging onto, carrying in your heart. It may be some pleasure or distraction which is not a sin in itself but crowds out the place of Jesus as King of your life. What is it that hinders uh, and entangles you? As we think about that question, I've been challenged um, in preparing this talk um, by C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. You know I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis. Um, If you don't know this book, it's written as letters from a senior devil uh, to a junior devil uh, trying to tempt a Christian away from his cross-shaped walk. Uh, And a part in the book the Christian is dimly aware that he has been backsliding not very disciplined about his prayers, his Bible studies, he's let them go. Um, He has a vague uneasiness that he just doesn't want to think about. He doesn't want to face it. He's reluctant to face the fact that he's allowed worldly pleasures and vanity to crowd out his prayers and his Bible reading. And the devils use that uh, reluctance to distract him from turning and repenting again. Let me uh, read to you a little passage. As this condition becomes more fully established, you will gradually be freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. As the uneasiness and his reluctance to face it cut him off more and more from all real happiness, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. The column advertisements in yesterday's newspaper will do. You can make him waste his time, not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversations with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You can keep him up late at night, not roistering or partying, but staring at a dead fire in a cold room. All the healthy and outgoing activities which we want him to avoid can be inhibited, and nothing given in return, so that at the last, he may say, as one of my own patients said on his arrival down here in hell, I see now that I spent most of my life in doing neither what I should, nor what I liked. Does that sound uh, uncomfortably familiar to some of you? convicts me a bit. The senior devil goes on to say that a person's best years can be stolen away not in sweet sins but in a dreary flickering of the mind over it knows not want and in the gratification of feeble curiosities. That's why I think, incidentally, that uh, there's such a danger for us growing up in an internet age. Our attention spans are uh, shorter than they were. Uh, and we're easily distracted by things like cat videos on YouTube or things like Candy Crush. That is definitely an entanglement I need to um, throw off. Screwtape says this. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you're anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards, if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings without milestones, without signposts. The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. So, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let me ask you again. What is that for you what is it in your life that most hinders you from following jesus what most easily entangles you into sin it may be that you're here today not yet uh, a christian and it may be that the lord is speaking to you today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart but turn to jesus for healing and the life that is truly life if you are a christian it may be that he's laying a conviction. Uh, in your heart about things that you know deep down you need to throw off because they hinder your walk with Jesus. They may not be sinful things in themselves, but for you, maybe not for other people, but for you, they lead on to the sin that clings closely, that entangles you. Let me also add um, a word of encouragement as we close. What happens when we fail? What happens when we don't keep these resolutions? Well, our great hope is the gospel. Jesus has paid for our sins on the cross. He knows our weakness. Our passage today understands that sin clings closely to us, that it entangles us. He knows our weakness. We're told in his word that if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves, but that he is faithful to forgive us when we confess. Here's uh, a lovely quote from C.S. Lewis, which I think sums it up wonderfully. No amount of fools will really undo us if we keep on picking ourselves up each time. We shall, of course, be very muddy and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels put out, and the clean clothes are in the airing cupboard. The only fatal thing... to lose one's temper and give it up. It's when we notice the dirt that God is most present in us. It is the very sign of his presence. There is a joy set before us as followers of Jesus. That's what C.S. Lewis means. It's not on this uh, quote on the screen, but when he talks about hot baths And towels and clean clothes, he's using that as a metaphor for the joy set before us. There is a race to be run with perseverance and single-mindedness. It will be cross-shaped. It will make us muddy and tattered from a lifelong struggle against sin. But we do not give up when we fail. Knowing our sinfulness in increasing measure is a sign of the Holy Spirit at work in us it can easily discourage us satan can easily discourage us when we are finding ourselves to be more sinful to uncover the depths of our depravity to uncover the depths of our wickedness really it's a sign of the holy spirit leading us into greater maturity knowing our sinfulness in increasing measure is a sign of the holy spirit's work if we when we notice the dirt it's when god is most present with us it's the very sign Uh, of His presence. And knowing that, we learn to trust God more and more, and not ourselves. So, let's make this, uh, in 2024, a daily resolution. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We need to be single-minded to follow Jesus to the joy set before us. We need to live a cross-shaped life. We need to take up our cross daily. We need to remember that being a disciple involves discipline. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel. Please help us to be daily encouraged to trust in your forgiveness and in your discipline. Help us to throw off those things that hinder a cross-shaped life and run with perseverance the race you've marked out for us, knowing that we will inherit a joy and a crown that far surpasses the light and momentary trials we face as strangers and aliens on the earth. For Jesus' name's sake, amen.